All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. It's good to have all your beautiful faces in the room. It's good to have you online as you're joining as we get going this morning. And as I was reflecting this morning, I was kind of struck with just how good God is. And it's such a simple idea, but it, it's the truth of God is a good, good God. And as the Benny was singing this morning here, it's a new, new day. It's a new, new day. So whatever we've come in with, whatever's going on in life, the good and everything that comes with it, it's a new, new day. And so we're just going to jump right in. Let's just jump right in. Uh, So if you want to stand with us, if you're in the foyer, if you want to come on in, let's just jump in and worship the King of Kings. There's, uh, there's actually, as we've been worshiping this morning, I've been sensing this change of perspective. And, and, and if I'm trying to see Donovan and I'm right here, from my perspective, I cannot see Donovan. But if I change my perspective, I can clearly see Donovan. And I feel like God's been going after that in our hearts this morning of we have been carrying around some perspectives that have been blocking our view of Jesus. And so I feel like there has actually been that shift in a lot of us this morning as we've been worshiping, as we've been pushing in. And I actually feel like uh, as we continue to sit in this singing Jesus, I actually feel like corporately we actually need to do something together. And we actually need to lay down those old perspectives. So there's some people, you've been carrying around a perspective of unforgiveness. You've been carrying around a perspective of hating your brother. You've been carrying around a perspective of God doesn't love you. You've been carrying around a perspective that, that, that you've lost sight of that God is a good, good God. But God today is just shifting those perspectives into love, into forgiveness, shifting perspectives into realizing that God is actually a good, good father. And so as, as the team continues to play for a few more minutes and, and, and as we sit and we just turn our gaze to Jesus, I just want to challenge all of us, whatever laying down that perspective looks like, let's do it in this moment. So if that means coming up and physically kneeling and laying something down, if that means in your heart naming that perspective that you've been carrying around and asking God to shift and change it for good, whatever that looks like, let's just spend a couple more minutes laying down those perspectives. It's a new, new day. It's not just words. That's <laughs> a spiritual declaration of a shift. It's a new, new day. 
Thank you, family, for those in the room and those online, for bringing what you had this morning. Because God shifts things when we come willing. So, God, we thank you. We thank you for the shift. I actually feel like today was a stake in the ground. That this was a declaration that there was a shift. God, I thank you for the shift. The word is stuck in my head, shift. God, I thank you for what you have done. Can we just give God a clap, cheer? All right, thank you, team. Thank you, worship team. That's the one thing I love about our church is there's a worship team and a worship team, right? And if, and if we just show up expecting to be entertained by the worship team, worship's going to not be great. But when we show up ready to worship and be a part of the worship team, God moves. God's glorified and things shift. And that's one thing I love. All right, Jim. Thank you. I, I had to smile when uh, Paul opened the service this morning um, because he opened it just talking about the goodness of God. And you all know that, you know, or many of you know, uh, over every time I ever, ever preach, I go down that little path at least once during the sermon because it's, it's my life bedrock that God is good. And so actually, today, rather than me doing a little digression down the path of God is good, that's what we're going to do for the whole teaching, okay? So, and that's fun for me because it meant that preparation for this was really easy. (laughs) So, um, and and I, I thought that was so interesting. We started off with God's goodness, and then we declared a new day. And we came all the way around through actually salvation and back to a new day by the end. And it's interesting how the Spirit of the Lord works. It's interesting how inspiration of the Lord works and and how revelation works. Um, Sometimes when uh, we're actually even speaking forth something or or singing forth something, um, we see something in particular and we call it out. And I did want to say, Ben, I loved the... the, uh, sort of the flow this morning. There was a time, though, when you did say we're not a lamb, and of course, Scripture says we are, right? All we like sheep, and then it says we are the the sheep of his pasture and whatever. But the Scripture uses many different uh, aspects at different times. So, for instance, we're not a lamb that is fodder for the predator. We're not a lamb that is helpless and cowering and stupid and sightless, Okay, but we are a sheep who follows our shepherd. So I just wanted to bring clarity a little bit to that to say, you know, it's, it's not a new doctrinal statement. It was in the context of that, we are not helpless. Amen? Amen. So, um, 
When we say the goodness of God, what do we mean? What, 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 what defines, what definition of the word goodness do we use when we talk about the goodness of God? Like, what, what do we mean God is good? You know, we've all heard God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. I had to do that, Jen, because Jen was already saying food. Um, so, um, you know what? His goodness is not the same as his righteousness or his holiness. The, the, the fact that there's no sin in him. Uh, you know, the, the, the heavens declare his glory and his holiness and his righteousness. But what is his goodness? Like, what do we mean when we say goodness? I, I, I turned to a, a book I read many years ago that impacted my life big time at that point. Uh, it was by A.W. Tozer, and it's called The Knowledge of the Holy. The language in it is a little bit older, if you will, but I highly recommend the book. It just simply goes through chapter after chapter, each chapter talking about one of the characteristics of God. And it's, it's just powerful to read, and, and I would highly recommend it. Okay, now, Tozer says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him or, or sets him up to be kind, cordial, which is friendly, benevolent, which is always wanting what's actually best. And full of goodwill to men. He is tender hearted. God is? Yeah, he is. He's tender hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing, never changing attitude towards all moral beings is open, frank, which is honest. And friendly. By his very nature, he's inclined to bestow blessedness. <laughs> and he takes <laughs> Hey Laszlo <laughs> And he takes holy pleasure In the happiness of his people Do you know that? These are true And we're going to see this in scripture You know what? That God is good Is on almost every page of the Bible Actually As you, as you read it you, you see did you know that right from the very beginning of Genesis, right through the end of the Revelation, God has been working nonstop to actually restore fellowship between us and him. And, and we see, you know, sometimes we, we feel like there's this, this sort of judgmental God or this, this angry God or, or whatever. That's our perspective and, and, you know, we talked about shifting perspectives here. Um, we need to shift that perspective. We need to understand the goodness of God, the fact that he has a never-ending pursuit of us. Every time we find yet another way to turn away, he finds another way to run in front of us and face us yet again. Did you know that? And here's the thing. His goodness, and the reason I'm, 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 I'm teaching on his goodness today is because it actually has to be a bedrock foundation of your faith. It, it has to be unshakable, unquestionable, established. It just is so that when anything comes up, we look at it through the lens 
that is, yes, but God is good. So what does that mean in this situation? We cannot ever afford to start to question the goodness of God because the moment we do, here's what happens. We set ourselves up as judge over God. Uh Uh-oh. You just created yourself as God. You just made yourself God and him subject to your judgment. The second we even begin to think, well, how could... How could God do that? That's not good. You've just decided what is and isn't good, and you've judged God by your decision. And the reality is, when you look at something and you say, how could that be good? You've got to stop and say, God, give me your perspective. Let me understand this. Because there's lots of things we don't understand. There's lots of things that don't look good. And and then and people say, well, how could a good God allow? Okay, but there's context to everything. How could a good God simply come in and and break his own word and meddle in a world that he gave to us? That would be a an interesting question to ask. So how could a good God allow? Well, God didn't didn't suggest that we sin. That was our choice. The way the world's messed up isn't a result of his choice. It, it's a result of ours. It's not, it's not a, a, an issue of his goodness. So I, I think if, if, we, if we don't see God as fundamentally good, if we, can't, if we can't grasp that, then there's no distinction anymore between kindness and cruelty or good or evil or heaven or hell for that matter. Do you know that God created us because it felt good to him? And it was good. And it was very good, it says in Genesis. He created each thing, and he said it was good. He created the next thing, and he said it was good. And then he created man, and he said, hmm, not so good. So then he created woman <laughs> to be with man, and he said, ah, now it is very good, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the guys are going, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. And he redeemed us for the same reason, because it's good, because it's the right thing. So his goodness is absolutely central to having a correct theology. Do you know what theology is? That's a perspective on, on God and on how the world really works. So, on the negative side, and and I'm not going to concentrate on this for very long, but many who fall away from the Lord actually do so at the beginning by questioning his goodness. It's actually the, the quickest path to forking away and deciding that, uh oh, you know, I I I'm not sure I'm not sure what I believe anymore. Because if God isn't good then is he God? Is he worth worshiping if he's not good? Right? And so I, I just, again, have to say, uh, we, we, that has to be bedrock for us. And sometimes we don't even recognize good when we see it. Sometimes because we lack context. I remember years ago, 
I was listening to a, a radio program called Through the Bible by J. Vernon McGee. How many of you have ever listened to Vernon McGee? Yeah, that's, that's the way he talks. I can't help it. It's, it's actually very difficult for us up here in Canada to listen to, uh, and, and um, uh, Dr. McGee hasn't been around now for quite a number of years. I think he was born in like 1904, so, you know, it's quite a while ago. But he spoke with a very slow drawl and this kind of, and I'm not exaggerating, okay? So, and so you'd listen, but, oh, did he have wisdom? And did he understand the word of God? Amazing. And so he told this story, and it, if I, if I remember it, it kind of goes like this. So a young child, oh, this is sort of PG, okay? I, just because it's a little scary, all right? No, it's, it, it, I, Jeremy can handle it. It's okay. Okay. It's a, it's a little scary. Okay. So a young child awakes in the night, and a woman walks into the room, and then walks back out, and in walks a man, and he calls some other men. child has no idea who these people are. And they're sort of wearing uniforms, and they pick this child up, and they take it out into the night, into the cold, and they drive this child to a large building where it's mostly dark. And they go into a room where they've got bright lights on, and a man in a mask shoves a knife into the belly of this child, and it's all good. Because this is a child who's suffering an attack of appendicitis. And the men are from the ambulance who took the child to a hospital where a doctor removed her appendix and saved the child's life. Huh. Context. (laughs) Wow. Those look like two different stories. By the way, he was describing the book as Zephaniah when he did that, and he was saying that the book of Zephaniah in the Bible is actually a love story, but you wouldn't think so because it sounds all like judgment, okay? If you read the book of Zephaniah, it's very judgment, but really, it's God cutting out the appendix, a rotten appendix, okay? So that, that was the context of that story, but I, I give it to say it was such a clear example of how we can so totally see something from different perspectives. And by the way, the perspective of that little child might have been the, er- or the early perspective, okay? And, and, and sometimes we don't recognize good because it's uncomfortable in the moment. Like the parent who forces a child who hates the water to take swimming lessons because they live by the water, and he's, then that parent is not having that child drown because they just didn't know how to swim. So they force them to take swimming lessons. So is that good or is that you know, violating the child's boundaries. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to make a doctrinal statement there, but... (laughs) When we recognize that God defines good and that we often lack context or understanding and we can't see consequences in the future like he can and sometimes far future sometimes we go through something where we just cannot see the good in it in any way at the time and then 20 years later we look back and we think wow that was so formative in who i am today and it has allowed me to have you know connection with whatever or sympathy for whatever you know and we look and we go you know actually in the light of history That wasn't so terrible. I mean, it was terrible at the time. So we can actually hold to the faith 
that he is in fact good whether we get it or not. And when we don't get it, that's what we recognize is, I just don't get it. And that's okay. Sometimes we won't see. Sometimes we won't actually get his perspective. But it doesn't change his goodness. And so long as we're solid on that, and we got to always remind ourselves, life here on earth is actually very temporary. There's an eternity. And we just don't see it, right? I mean, you know, cognitively now and again, in our own brains, we can go, yes, I recognize there's an eternity. But really what we understand is, you know, 80-some years. That's, you know, really, that's what we get. And so we think of everything, even in terms of the context in the future and the consequences and everything, in relation to this, this time on earth. But we miss the fact that God is doing lots of things that are going to have an effect in eternity and in eternity, we'll be able to understand the good of it, even if we never get there during our lifetime. One of the enemy's chief weapons is to try and inject us with the poison of distrust in God's goodness. Do you know that? Especially even in connection with, for instance, his commandments. You know, God's commandments are... What, cramping my style? Actually, they're there for our good. And when God sets something up that we don't understand or we don't get or we don't like, uh, the reality is he's not keeping something good from you. I want to go back to one of the very first stories in the Bible. And it's, there's this guy named Adam. He's got a wife named Eve. We've all heard of Adam and Eve. And there's a point in the garden that he set up for them where it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. They have everything they could possibly ever need. But there's one tree. He's actually created a situation where they have to choose him. Okay? He's created a situation where they could choose something other than him. Because actually, if there's no choice whatsoever, they're not choosing. Okay? So he's giving them this opportunity to continually make a choice for him. And what's the poison that the enemy uses to entice Eve to break the one rule they've got, which is not to eat from the fruit of that one tree? And it is a question of God's goodness. He comes in and he says, well, really? God just doesn't want you to have what you would get if you have this fruit because that would be better. God's being selfish. He's not letting you do this thing that will actually open your eyes to a whole other area and you'll be more like God. So God's not being good. And it's this, it's this insidious poison around that. And I, and I would say... God is never keeping something good from you. He really isn't. If he's keeping something from you, trust me, it's not good. Not good for you. And what about, you know, we we fear God, fear being incredible, awesome respect, right? Absolutely. That's appropriate. That's important. 
But if we are afraid of God, again, we're questioning his goodness. And I don't mean afraid of God like as in if he's over there, I want to stay back here a little bit because that implication, I mean, that doesn't, that, that's all very metaphorical, you know. But I mean, I've heard people say, oh man, I don't want to really give that area of my life over to God because he'll make me do something I hate. You know, if I give God my bank account, he'll make me live on the street. What? (laughs) And I'm not even saying that that couldn't possibly happen, only that if it did, it would actually be good. God is not out there to try and make your life miserable. Do something you hate. It builds character, says Calvin's dad, right? (laughs) From Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) No. That's not who God is. He's not, he's not arbitrary. He's not, here's a big, big word, he's not capricious. He's not trying to, to make you do stuff you hate because he can, because he's got you on a string. And he, No, he's good. He's good. He's trustworthy. We don't actually have to fear what he's going to bring us through because he's good. Back to the comment I made earlier. Our faith in his goodness has to be the lens that we perceive every situation through. We have to shift our perspective or ask him to shift our perspective. Let's look at what scripture says. I've talked about this long enough. Psalm 34, starting with verse 4. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. That fear is that respect. In fact, the respect and belief and faith, even in his goodness. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 65. You've done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. See, he's actually equating his commands and decrees with his goodness. All of those commands, all of God's laws are not about something to judge you by. They're actually something that protects you, something that grows you, something that brings you into maturity. Nahum, 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He's close to those who trust him. I've got a couple little categories here we're going to go through because, you know, sermons have to have points. And I only have one. God is good. But his goodness never ends, and it doesn't depend on us earning it or anything. 
God's goodness doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. It's his fundamental nature. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to, the, to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. In Genesis 50, we have the story of Joseph. And Joseph... Uh, many of you, you know, will know the story of Joseph, but just quickly, uh, Joseph was born uh, to Jacob, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph is, is the, you know, actually the favorite son. Jacob played favorites. Yes, he did. And, um, and Joseph is this son, and, and uh, his brothers don't really appreciate the fact that he's the favorite son. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, if I wasn't the favorite son in my house, I wouldn't have appreciated it Oh. Hi, Gord. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Gord and I have talked. He said, I don't know if mom and dad had favors, but if they did, it was me. So, <laughs> and I thought, well, I feel the same way, so I think we're okay. All right. Um, so, you know, Joseph, though, was clearly a favorite, so his brothers didn't really appreciate it. And so at some point, they actually beat him up, threw him in a pit. And then when some traders came by, traders came by, they pulled him out of the pit and they sold him as a slave. So they got rid of their brother and they got some cash. So it was a win-win. And so, anyway. Uh, and then Joseph, as his process goes on, he, uh, he actually ends up as a slave in this guy's house. And, and uh, he ends up basically running the household because he's gifted by God to do these things. And then this man's wife makes a play for Joseph. And he turns around and runs. So she accuses him anyway. He ends up in prison. In the prison, he ends up basically running the place because he's gifted to do these things. And, um, and, and eventually, he ends up becoming uh, Pharaoh's right hand. He sees, you know, Pharaoh's given a dream. Joseph interprets the dream, and he, he realizes there's going to be a famine in the land. And he manages to uh, store up the appropriate food, and, and Pharaoh ends up owning everything and everyone because of Joseph's, um, you know, wisdom in, in provision. Okay. Then Joseph's brothers show up to buy food, and they don't recognize Joseph, and they're standing in front of Joseph, and they need food because they're caught in the famine, all right? So what does Joseph do? Well, he sells them food. Actually, he gives it to them. He gives their money back. He plays some games with them, trying to figure out where they're at now in their journey and whether, in fact, they're repentant at all. And then he makes this interesting statement in Genesis 50, verse 20. After he reveals who he is and his brothers are like, uh-oh, now we're dead. Because <laughs> he's the second most powerful person in the entire land. And, uh, and we did sell him. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. How do you think Joseph felt when he first got sold to those Ishmaelites as they were coming through? Do you think he saw the good in it? You know, when he was in prison after Potiphar's wife thing, do you think he felt like that was good? In fact, when he got left in prison after he actually helped save this, this, this uh, wine taster for the king and whatever all else, and they forgot all about him and left him to rot in prison for a few more years, do you think he saw that as 
This is great. But when hundreds of thousands of people's lives were saved because he was in position to interpret a dream, because, frankly, all that pride had been boiled out of him, the pride that had him yang 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 at his brothers because he was the favorite, um, you know, now he could see it was all for good. Psalm 31, verse 19. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen. Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. I love singing this one out in the last six or eight months, hey? Yeah. Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. We, many of us have, have probably memorized this over the years. If you have no idea what the 23rd Psalm is, I'll challenge you. Go home and read it. It's excellent. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know that his goodness pursues you? Mm. Romans 8. Verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, here's something else, though. Do you know that only God is good? No one else is. Only God is good. So when you're tempted to judge him, just remember who you really are. Yeah? Luke 18, verse 18. Once, a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. Now, by the way, this was not Jesus saying, I'm not good, only God is. This was Jesus saying, you're right, I'm God. Okay, just so you're clear. What's, what's actually happening here? <laughs> Jesus is saying, only God's good, so you're calling me good. You, get, you, you, you catch that, right? So the next verse goes on actually to list some of God's commandments. Jesus is answering this teacher to say, here, here are the things that you would have to do as well. And he lists them because they're good. Because they come out of the goodness of God. Never be afraid of God's commandments, of his laws, right? Again, you don't earn his favor by keeping them. Just know that they're there because they're good. Romans 3, verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. I think that's relatively clear. <laughs> I, think, I think point made, yeah. But then if we go, and this is Romans, this is New Testament, okay? Like, don't, you know, this is Romans chapter 3, and then we'll go to 23, one of, one of the verses that people are, are taught to memorize very early. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Freely makes us right in his sight. 
He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. You're free. No penalties. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. What? Okay, that's a little confusing, maybe. It's really actually saying it's actually God's goodness that allows him to be merciful, that allows him not to have to punish all the evil that people do, particularly right away. Isn't that interesting? For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. So before Jesus died on the cross, he was actually looking ahead and realizing he was also dying for the sins of all of those who had passed away before he ever even did it. Kind of cool. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So he's the only one who's good. But our own measure of goodness, because we do have a measure, it comes directly from God. We can't and don't have to earn anything by our own efforts, as that wouldn't make us good anyway if we could earn it by our own efforts. That would just make us proud, right? Galatians 5, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. So he produces goodness in us, but it's from him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, which is exactly what we were doing here this morning. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right through God or with God through Christ. And God's goodness actually is what leads people to repent. Did you know that? Romans 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And then finally, God's goodness should lead us to praise him, shouldn't it? 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Psalm 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. In Jeremiah 33, verse 11, the sounds of joy and laughter, the joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again, along with the joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. They will sing, 
Give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. For I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past, says the Lord. Amen. So, Lord, thank you for being good. And, and for opening our eyes to be able to even see some part of your goodness. Lord, build in us such a firm foundation, such a clear platform that we can stand on that says you are good, you define what good is. Let us never, ever question, and if we, if we do, bring us back immediately to a recognition of your goodness, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. So with that as the backdrop, I I have a sense that there's a number of people that are in the room right now or you're watching online where you have felt like I, I can't do the thing that I want to do. I, it's like you've been numbed. You, you took a tranquilizer dart to the arm and it no longer works. I, I, I want to praise and I can't. Or I want to trust God, but uh, it just seems so hard right now. A word came to you. Either somebody said it or you said it yourself about God, about his word, and it shut off something inside you. And you find it hard to praise. You find it hard to pray. You find it hard to give. You find it hard to serve, whatever it is. If you've got that sense that something is numb and dead, let's take a bold step. Put up your hand. Okay, we've got a few. Got something, Jim? Yeah, I just I, to what you're saying, uh, a, a verse I didn't I didn't bring forward is in Jeremiah 17, and um, uh, verse five. Um, hmm. <laughs> it, it basically says that. That, um, <laughs> it, it, it it's actually telling us that you're you're going to be unable to. Oh, well, you go ahead. I'll do it <laughs> because really the curses of God are redemptive. That's something that we've learned in this house over time. The curses of God are not meant for our evil, but are actually meant for our good, as Jim was talking about over and over. The curses of God are are meant to cause our attention to turn to him. And so it says, cursed are those who put their trust in man, as opposed to putting their trust in God. So he shall be like a, a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see good when it comes. If you find yourself in a place where you're actually not seeing good, if you're not seeing the goodness of God in your life, it's just an indication that your trust is in a different place, yes. that your trust is actually not in the Lord as he asks that it would be. 
And so as, as Cam was talking, I was just totally reminded of this verse. It's like, oh, if you're in a place where you don't see good, we have this opportunity to actually say, Lord, I've been trusting in the wrong place. I've been putting my trust in man. But actually, you have everything I need. And I will turn and put my trust in you. Beautifully put. So... If you are feeling Holy Spirit putting his finger on your heart related to this, I'm numb, I'm blind, I can't see the goodness of God, I'm powerless in this situation, a few hands went up, this is a time that you respond to the Lord. He actually wants to make things right, but it requires that you must shift. He's not going to shift. And I would advise, don't put it off. If he's touching you right now, respond to him. And that, that is a response, not just a passive, well, God's going to do something to me that'll make it better. No. There is a requirement in the spirit that you must do as he does. Think like he does. You must adjust. This is what holiness and godliness is all about. You become more like him. Stop being what that is. The blindness and the powerlessness is the wake-up call to go, something's wrong. Yeah, I think so often I come to the end of the service and it's like, what's the direction? Um, but I've just been sensing the whole time, like, like we don't need to give direction because God can give direction. Uh, and so, so we're not going to get up and end the service, but if you need to go, you can go. We'll officially wrap up the service, but there's actually a call to stay. Sit with what God wants to say to you. Uh, it, it is so important to block out our perspectives and listen to his. Let's, let's hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. And as he speaks to you, do what he says. This, this, is, this is open. <laughs>